Scripture lesson for this morning comes to us from the New Testament book of Acts, chapter 17, verses 22 through 31. Listen now for God's word to you. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus, that's an easy word, Areopagus, there we go, and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. And therefore you worship as unknown this world, this world and everything in it. He who is the Lord of heaven and earth does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not think of that deity in light is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all who, by raising him from the dead. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So one of my favorite parts about living in rural Missouri, one of my only favorite parts about living in rural Missouri, the food? No, it was not the food. (laughs) It was how many stars I could see in the night sky. Um, This was a very different place than I have lived pretty much at any other point in my life. I lived in urban and suburban areas pretty much the entirety of my life, and so, of course, the night sky was always filled with tons of light pollution. But in rural Missouri, on a clear night, I could look up into the night sky and I could see more stars than I knew were there. And so when I would let the dog out for the last time on those clear nights, I would always make a special point to look up into the night sky and to be caught up in wonder and awe at the cosmos. And the night sky has really been for me over the last several years a place where I've started to wonder what God is like. Um, You may have noticed on the bulletin cover and on the worship screens, you have this guy standing on a hilltop looking up into the night sky, staring at the stars and the celestial bodies, and I like to imagine him wondering what God is like. And really, it makes sense why we would look up to the night sky or up to the sky in general. We have this idea of thinking about God up there somewhere. It's Sunday, and football games we play later on this afternoon. The Bears and the Lions are playing And so when the Bears score a bunch of touchdowns against the Lions, for those of you who don't know, I'm a Bears fan, um, when they cross the goal line, they're going to inevitably, and they want to thank God, they're going to look upwards, right? When we think about God, we stare into the sky, we talk about the quote-unquote big man upstairs. So it makes sense that we would think of the cosmos. The cosmos becomes this place of imagining and wondering what God is like. And so for the next two weeks in this sermon series, to close out this sermon series, so today and next Sunday, we're going to be 
reflecting on the cosmos as a way to answer this question of what God is like. And I find the cosmos both mesmerizing and amazing and also incredibly uh, fearful, this thing that causes me a lot of fear and anxiety. Um, For my wife, Heather, it causes her only anxiety. Uh, So I like to look on TikTok that explains just how big and vast the universe is. And she makes me skip those videos. She doesn't want to watch them. It fills her with what she says, existential dread. Um, And really, I get it. I understand that. The universe, the cosmos, is massive and expansive. It's kind of unimaginably old, right? 14 billion years, scientists say. Who could even begin to comprehend that length of time? Um, We also don't know how big it is. We have the observable universe. And whatever is beyond that, we don't quite No. But the cosmos is, I think, a source of reflection for how we imagine God. We can imagine our ancestors in faith staring up at the night sky and and wondering what God is like. There's that story in the book of Genesis where God wants to relay just how big God's promises are to Abraham. He says, look up in the night sky and you see how many stars there are? That's how numerous your descendants will be. And I think this has always been the case. We've always sort of used the cosmos, the universe, as this source of reflection on what the universe or what God is like. I came across an article by a Franciscan friar who's also an astronomer. Um, that's an interesting career path. Um, named Peter Tremblay. And he says that cosmology is never without theology. And what he means by that is cosmology, the way that we understand the origin of the universe, the way the universe works now, the future of the universe, It always carries with it ways that we understand God. The ways that we understand the universe impacts and influences the ways that we understand God. Um, And this has always been the case. Um, If you've been to one of my Bible studies, you've seen this before, so sorry for the repeat material. Don't tune out. Um, Sandy, if you want to bring up this image, this is what's called biblical cosmology, or I would say more accurately, Old Testament cosmology, and even more accurate than that, just ancient Near Eastern cosmology, the way that they understood the world. Um, So it's not just Old Testament authors who look at the world in this way. They're borrowing from the people around them the same way that we do today. Um, So there's a lot going on in this image, and so let's try to make some sense of it. Uh, You'll notice that in this worldview, the earth is still flat. Um, You have the pillars of the earth that are holding up the earth at this fixed point. What those pillars are attached to, I have no idea. Um, Something, I hope. Um, Then you have what's called the primeval ocean. Uh, So this is, for ancient people, the ocean bodies of water are places of chaos. So think to that story in Genesis chapter 1, where the Spirit of God is brooding over the waters of the deep. God's Spirit hovering over that place of chaos and bringing order and harmony out of that place of chaos. And so this kind of maybe gives us a new understanding then of those stories in the New Testament where Jesus calms the storm or walks on water. There's a very dense theological point there, right? That Jesus is the one who walks through and controls the forces of chaos. And then above the earth you have the firmament, which is sort of like a physical dome that covers the earth. And in that are uh, the, the celestial bodies, And then above that, you have the heaven of heavens, God's dwelling place. And so if you are somebody who lives in the ancient Near East, this is how you look at the world. This is how you understand the world. If you want 
to describe what God is like. God has a permanent address somewhere above the firmament that when God files taxes, this is the address that God lists. God lives somewhere up there in the sky beyond us. And this, I think, impacts the ways that you understand the universe, the world. God looks more like a king. You can go ahead and uh, take that down. But of course, we know that this form of cosmology is not how the universe actually looks and operates. Uh, We know that the earth is not flat, at least most of us do. Um, I saw an advertisement for the great flat earth debate recently. Some people are still debating this. We know the earth is not flat. We know that it's round. We know that above us is not the firmament, but there is atmosphere. This is not how the universe looks. And that's not to be harsh on the Old Testament authors. As Peter N. says, none of us can escape being human, that we all live in the time and place in which we uh, inhabit, and we imagine God based off of the information that we are given, based off of how we understand the world, how other people around us understand the world. But as cosmology shifts and changes, so does our understanding of what God is like. So if you fast forward, leap over several thousand years to the 1700s to Isaac Newton, one of the great figures in the scientific world, uh, he imagines the world very differently. He imagines the world and understands cosmology to be the sort of mechanical process, that the universe operates according to certain principles. It's predictable. We know exactly what the universe is going to do. And so if we could create a metaphor for how Newton understood the world, the cosmos, it would be to understand it as sort of like a giant clock or a watch. The gears operating, everything happening according to the the ways that the the God figure turns the dials of the universe. And my contention is, as I think that our cosmology needs to catch up with our, or our theology needs to catch up with our cosmology, I think we sort of have this kind of strange mixture of ancient Israelite cosmology with God as a king somewhere up there and Newton's understanding of a God who sort of turns the dials of a mechanical universe, that everything happens according to some divine plan. And I get it. I think it's a comforting image. I can look at places and times in my life where things have operated. I can say, thank you to God. This is the week before Thanksgiving, a time of gratitude. It's a nice image when things in our lives work out and go according to how we want them to go, when the universe is mechanical and it works out in our favor. But of course, the issue arises, what happens when the mechanical movement of the universe doesn't work in your favor? What happens when God seemingly could intervene into the world but doesn't? You know, I said to you in the first week of this sermon series, I said that often crises are what cause us to rethink and to reimagine God. So what happens when that job that you desperately wanted, they hire somebody else and they're going to keep your resume on file? What happens when you lose that job that you and your family depend so much on to put food on the table and to pay the bills? What happens when there's illnesses and suffering and evil? You begin to wonder, is God really that mechanical, that deterministic? And it starts to create problems theologically, I think. Uh, the worst of all, I think, is this idea that, well, if something bad is happening, that must mean that God is punishing you. Is there anything more toxic than that idea? 
Or it, all, it leads on a, to very well-meaning people who really mean the best that they can. They show up at a funeral and they say, well, it's all part of God's plan. It's a very difficult concept, right? And uh, the pastors and the theologians become the, the PR team for God in this situation, trying to explain why God could or, or didn't intervene. And, and quite frankly, I'm tired of being God's PR publicist person. Um, to me, there is no easy answer, there's no satisfactory answer to why God could intervene in the mechanical universe, but God chooses not to. And I'm not trying to be cynical here or be a Debbie Downer this morning. I think these are real questions that people have. These are real questions that all of you sitting in the pews have. These are questions that have caused people to leave the faith behind. How can we believe in a God when God could have intervened, but God didn't? But maybe as our understanding of the universe changes and unfolds, we have these new and different ways to imagine God. That what we have found out in recent years is that the universe doesn't quite look the mechanical, deterministic way that Newton imagined it looking. That the universe is not full of, of predictabilities and certainties, but possibilities and probabilities. And so what if we started to imagine God in these different ways? What if God is not this king sitting on a throne above the firmament? Or what if God is not the, the great cosmic watchmaker turning the dials of a me mechanical universe? But what if God looks a little bit more like what Paul describes for us this morning? The God in whom we live and move and have our being. The God who is around us at all moments and at all times. The God who is truly omnipresent. As one of the great preachers that I like to listen to says, there is nowhere that God is not. What if the universe itself is humming and vibrating and moving with the presence of God? At least that's what's possible according to a, a recent uh, discovery that was made this past summer. An article from The Atlantic describes it. Uh, they said that the entire universe is humming and moving and vibrating. Every building, every person, every structure on the ground, everything is vibrating. What scientists believe that they've discovered this past summer is what's called cosmic background gravitational waves. You all have heard of that before, right? Those are a lot of big words, so let's back it up and try to make sense of what that means. Cosmic background gravitational waves. Say that ten times fast. So, in order to understand that, we have to back up a little bit to Albert Einstein's theory of relativity, uh, which is postulated back in the early 20th century. And so... <clears throat> What Einstein says is that the universe and time and space are not two separate entities, but they are combined together into what's called space-time. And so we're not just kind of floating out in the middle of nowhere, but that the universe, space-time, forms this kind of like great sheet, this great piece of fabric. So think about your bed sheet on your bed, that fitted sheet that you wrestled to get on there, right? Uh, when you put an object onto your fitted sheet, it creates an impression and so smaller objects will roll towards that larger one. And so this is how gravity works, such as this magical force. You're creating an impression within space-time. And so what the scientists are saying, what's been theorized since Einstein put this theory out there, is that you can make space-time bend and wave. Again, I'm not trying to cause you existential dread. <laughs> yes, thank you, Bill. Bill's waving. Um, it's too early in the morning for this? Yeah, <laughs> should have had more coffee. <coughs> I made some. So you can make space-time move and bend. And so eight years ago, scientists finally... What? You can make space-time and bend. 
No, you can make space time bend. You can make space-time bend. There you go. And so eight years ago, what scientists discovered, they, they found proof of gravitational waves from two giant black holes colliding in a distant galaxy. Again, please don't have existential dread. Um, they found these waves. And so think about it, how you throw a rock into a pond, and those waves move outwards. The further you are away from that, the less you're going to feel it. So this all happens around us but we don't feel it. So this has been happening for 14 billion years. Galaxies colliding, black holes colliding, gravitational waves moving through the universe. It's sort of like the background noise of city life, the jackhammers, the car horns, the, the screeching of tires, the voices, all of that going on in the background of our lives. Everything moving and vibrating. And so what cosmic background gravitational waves are are the possibility, it's, still ha it's a theory, it still has to be proven, are these waves that have been moving through the universe since the very beginning of time, since just after the Big Bang itself. So everything is vibrating and moving. You and I, every proton and neutron in our bodies, every person we love, every people, person we serve, the, the homes we live in, the cars we drive, the ground beneath our feet, everything is moving and vibrating with these gravitational waves. And so if the question is, what is God like? Maybe God is like these gravitational waves. And I don't, let me be clear, I'm not saying God is gravitational waves. But maybe that God is like gravitational waves. That our entire lives are moving and vibrating with the presence of God, that at all moments of our lives, we are surrounded by God. Since that very first moment in Genesis 1, we have been living and moving and having our being in God. And if this is what God is like, that we don't have to go searching for love, that we are held always and living our entire lives in the presence of love, that maybe when we seek grace for the things that we have done wrong, we don't have to go and fall on our knees before some king, no matter how benevolent that king might be. Maybe we just have to tune our lives to the frequency of grace. That maybe when we pray, we're not sending our prayers up somewhere beyond ourselves, but maybe when we pray, we are just simply acknowledging God's presence all around us. Came across this poem last week by the poet John Rodell, and he says, I used to wonder why my prayers never made it to God, and then I discovered that they were getting stuck in the clouds. So now I no longer send my prayers up into the sky. Just, I just place my hand over my heart and tap them out in Morse code because that's where the divine actually lives. Maybe we're not sending our prayers up into the sky. Maybe we're just paying attention to the presence of God all around us. That later on today when the, the Bears score a touchdown and they need to thank God because they're going to need to thank God for scoring a touchdown. Maybe they don't have to point up to the sky, but maybe just place their hands over their heart, thanking God for being there. That We are always living and moving and having our being in God. That maybe when we serve those who are so often called the least of these, our sisters and brothers, maybe we can see within them the presence of God moving as well. 
that maybe the answer to the question of why does suffering happen, maybe it's not that it's part of some secret plan put together by some divine, omnipotent watchmaker, but maybe as suffering and pain happens, if God is everywhere all around us at all times, maybe suffering and pain is happening to God as well. That maybe if we want to find God, to to see what God is like, maybe we just need to stop, pay attention to the vibrations and movements of love and grace and mercy in our lives. Maybe God isn't up there after all, but that's only because God is down here, and in God we live and move and have our being. Amen.